to the Leadership Exposé podcast. This podcast is for leaders at diverse levels and organizations around the world who are seeking to scale and transform their leadership to level up their business and to create an impact in the lives of people all around them. Business topics, trends, innovation, and the intersection with leadership is the focus. We enable success. I'm your host, Stephen Paul. I'm excited to have with me an adventurous leader today who has transitioned from being a radio jockey to a banker, from a technology-enabling startups to selling software entrepreneur, whilst bringing the best of marketing and sales to the forefront and leading the global marketing operations of a 100 million tech startup. He has been there, done that, and creating waves in advising startups on various domains. We welcome Vimal Abraham, Managing Partner of uh, Meraki People Private Limited. We will learn about his journey and how he is building new concepts and helping other businesses grow. Welcome, Vimal. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me on the podcast, Steve. Lovely to be here today. And thank you so much for the, uh, a lot of good things you said about uh, me. Thank you. Pleasure to be on the podcast. I'm always curious about where people are based. I know we spoke about this just before the, uh, the podcast, but for our for the purpose of our audience, where tell us briefly where you're based. I live in India in a town called Chennai. Uh, this has been home for me for the last uh, 42 years. Never left this place and probably going to be here for some more time. So I have actually been to uh, to Chennai. Um, I, it reminds me of of, of the beaches there, um, <laughs> but all the all the tech enabled companies and the innovations that's actually going on in that region. So um, I I I know that it's it's booming in many ways. It's a nice place to be in. Um, you know, uh, we also have a joke that we say a lot of people who live in Chennai live for all the non-professional reasons, right? So in that sense, um, a city like Bangalore, which is the technology capital of India, or Bombay, which is the financial capital of India, uh, people who choose to stay in Chennai tend to stay for family reasons. And that's been my uh, reason uh, for being in Chennai too. Uh, I was the second son uh, in the family and my brother got to be the, the guy who went outside the house home, the bird who left the nest early. So, but no regrets. Uh, Chennai is a lovely city to be in. Yeah, it doesn't have the glitz and glamour of Bombay or doesn't have the, the Silicon Valley of India tag. But um, it does have its uh, own uh, strength as a, as a lovely uh, environment to stay, a lot of uh, interesting companies to work with and overall a very good package. Excellent. Bimal, I'm curious to hear about um, all the twists and turns in your personal and professional journey because you kind of outlined a few pointers and you said you wanted to speak about it today in, in, in the podcast. So let's hear about your personal and professional journey. So it's been one, um, I would say, you know, long and winding journey. Uh, you know, as a child, all that I wanted to be is being the armed forces, right? So all my childhood was spent uh, playing pretend war games under my grandfather's bed, right? So it's, it's also because I come from an armed forces family. Uh, all my, uh, you know, generations before me, that's my uncles, aunts, uh, father, my grandfather, and a generation before that, all of them come from an armed forces background. So I've always had that fascination to be in the armed forces. I've always had that... Um, you know, the desire to wear the uniforms that they wear, the discipline that comes with the armed forces. 
But somewhere when I got into the high school days, the, the love for armed forces or the armed forces dream got replaced with the media dreams. Right? I, mean, I loved being on the other side of the, uh, the camera. I loved being on the other side of the mic. And I liked being on top of, um, on top of any stage. But um, when it came to deciding your college major, when I was the crossroad of choosing major, uh, everyone around me felt sciences were the safer uh, choices uh, rather than being in media studies, right? My father said, we are built last day today. Uh, media doesn't pay. And neither are we from a background where we can sustain a life in, in media. So I took a safe choice. I was able to, uh, you know, escape the, the mad rush to engineering and uh, medical sciences in India, which still continues in many ways. But I somehow managed to escape that um, uh, that trap or you know the, the desire to be an engineer or, or a doctor but i landed up in physics for no no logical reason uh, not that physics was my favorite subject but uh, it was uh, it was something which i didn't hate i had a deep uh, dislike for some of the other sciences but physics is something i didn't mind so i opted for physics but uh, all that i did in my college days was uh, you know spend time uh, you know doing some some bit of work which is closer to my passion I was the editor of the college magazine for a couple of years. I was part of the debating society. Um, you know, somehow I found my way to get a job in the local radio station. I worked as a radio jockey for some time. And I thought that's the direction life is going. Okay, you have your graduation in physics. It doesn't matter. You're coming back to media some way or the other. But again, life took another turn uh, when it came to choosing masters. Well, my choice was to be in media studies. Again, the family felt media studies is not going to pay. Get an MBA, it's better. Or else go to an MCA, and I, I just didn't want to go anywhere close to coding. I had no aptitude for coding, so I said, "Okay, let me just take MBA." And again, uh, ill-informed choice. I had absolutely no clue what cat meant. Cat meant a pet. Then I didn't know you had to prepare for your cat in India is the entrance exam, a common aptitude test for your premier school business schools. And I had no clue what MBA meant until I went to the college for admissions. Right, so went back to the same college where I studied there, an MBA program, signed up. Didn't mean much. I went because my father said, but MBA was good. I I liked what I was learning. I liked uh, you know business studies, and I wasn't really feeling bad that I gave up media studies. But then I had to give up a lot of things I was doing. Uh, I couldn't continue working in college magazines. I couldn't continue being at the radio station because uh, business studies did demand a lot of attention. So I gave up on the dream again. Uh, got into business studies. And yeah, the college, I mean, the degree went well and time for choosing jobs and uh, wanted to be in advertising closer to media and communications, but I landed up in a bank. I had absolutely no clue why I sat in the interview. I had no clue. But the job came and I couldn't be de declining offers. I'd already declined a couple of offers and uh, the college came strongly on me that you can't play the fool. You have to take this job. Uh, it, it was a prestigious bank and uh, they give you an offer. You can't decline offers. But okay, let's go into banking, right? Spent a couple of years in banking. Somehow landed up in technology, selling software. Sales has never been my sales has never been my forte, right? I've never enjoyed uh, selling something, right? Uh, so somehow managed. Spent uh, six, seven years in sales after banking, and then I found a way to come back to my uh, passion again. Something in communication, something closer to media. I. I Somehow found a job which would allow me to do uh, software marketing. So the the next ten years of my corporate career was in software marketing, uh, and uh, the last role that I did was heading 
global marketing for a PE funded uh, technology uh, business. But then the bug bit me again. Uh, I felt that life was in an autopilot mode and, uh, you know, the, there, was, there was no adventure. It was about going to office, doing something, coming back home. And I wasn't adding um, any value in anyone's life. So that's why I decided to hang up my, uh, the corporate boots or you know, quit my job uh, to get in on an entrepreneurial journey. And the last four years that I've been on my own has been a very interesting and engaging journey for, for me. Uh, I came out trying to do something in the uh, education sector, helped a couple of friends, um, you know, achieve some sort of a market, uh, you know, a viability for a product that we're building in the ed education space, help them grow from zero to one. Uh, I helped a couple of technology startups uh, in their zero to one journey uh, in, in navigating uh, what it takes to build scale from a marketing or a go-to-market standpoint. And um, currently, I'm helping my partner in business and in life to uh, grow her business. She is in the human resources advisory space. So, so that's that's been the journey uh, the last twenty odd years, uh, Steve. So, net net net. In long long story short, it's it's what John Lennon probably said in the seventies. No, when I was busy making plans, life happened, and and somehow I found a way to embrace what happened, and uh, no regrets, no looking back. Yeah, I would also like to observe that uh, whilst hearing all these different twists and turns and this incredible journey that you um, that you experienced, you've basically got this unconscious agility within yourself. <laughs> you've, you've basically managed to take on different aspects of professional elements personal elements mix it all up and either knowingly or unknowingly you've been able to navigate through them that's agility it's been good yeah, yeah. It, it's been good i mean um, you know, like they say when life gives you lemons and your choice to make a lemonade out of it or you know I, i'm not sure if i'm quoting it correctly but it, it's been there's been tough situations but life has been good right? and uh, for me my end objectives in life have been very clear i've never put um, professional or personal life and uh, and there needs to be a balance right so uh, while in a conventional sense i wouldn't see my profession as as a, as a success in the conventional terms right but if i were to balance uh, between my personal life and professional life there's no looking back and thankfully all my employees all my bosses uh, you know have helped me to do or be who i am right uh, so that's it's been good okay Vimal, you mentioned a couple of things there that caught my attention. So you, you know, you mentioned you, 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 where you are focusing still on the zero to one journey and also helping with the, you know, your partner on the human advisory services as well. Is that, is that, is that your focus at the moment? It is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about uh, both those trans or anything else. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, um, you know, though I've not formally uh, done this under the Meraki banner, I've been an independent consultant for a couple of, a couple of uh, technology startups, but I'm slowly drifting uh, to the direction that Meraki people as an organization does two things. One, uh, helps startups from their marketing and go-to-market story, and two, helps, um, you know, uh, larger organizations, especially in some of the sectors that we focus on, finding the right kind of talent. So I'll kind of brief you on both of these. Mm -hmm. uh, see, I, I, I would probably classify myself as a marketer 
uh, more than anything else, right? The, uh, you know, of all the jobs that I've done, the one thing that I've enjoyed doing, whether I'm good or bad, I don't know, but one that I've enjoyed doing is, is being a marketer. Right? And and I believe in a marketing that solves problems. I don't believe in a marketing that interrupts you in between what you're doing, trying to sell you something. Right? So my philosophy of marketing is is one that helps you solve a problem or helps you move from a point A to point B. Right? Uh, I, I believe, or rather, I've, I've generously borrowed this philosophy from uh, a, a writer called Victor Frankl. Uh, Victor, Victor Frankl, I think, wrote this book in the 70s, right? Uh, I think it's called Man's Search for Meaning or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. yeah? So, so Victor Frankl finds himself in one of the concentration camps and uh, his experiences and, and, and discoveries out of it is, is what is explained in the book. But there was one paragraph in the book which changed my life, right? He says, uh, success like happiness can never be pursued. It can only be an unintended outcome of helping someone solve a problem or helping someone move from a point A to point B, right? And I've, I've, I found it very fascinating that some of the, the marketing thought leaders that I follow say something very similar, right? So I find a correlation between what, um, uh, you know, psychiatrist, if I can call him that, or a philosopher, I can call him that, Victor Frankl says about life in general and what someone like Seth, Rod, Seth Gordon talks about marketing, right? Seth Gordon, when he talks about marketing, he says, Marketing is 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 a it's some sort of a service. It's it's sort of a selfless act of helping someone yeah. solve a problem. Right? He talks about again this journey between point A to point B, helping someone do it. Right? Uh, I'm not trying to sound altruistic. Yes, it's done with the commercial interest at the end of the day. But I believe in a marketing which will help in solving somebody's problem. Right? So the clients that I work with or the startups that I work with, I help them find out what is the core problem that they're solving. Right? And if, if, if the intent is not to solve a problem and the intent is only to generate X amount of revenue or X amount of, you know, of funding, I don't find myself uh, comfortable or I don't find myself as the right resource who can help them in the journey. Right? But if, if, if their focus is, how do I tell my story better? You know, how do I go deep and find out what problems am I solving? And how do I connect with that audience whose problem I'm solving? Right? That's the businesses that I work with. Uh, and um, so that's the marketing side of uh, what I do. Um, from the human resources space, uh, my wife has been in the domain for a long time. So I, I kind of probably call myself as a full-time employee of my wife, both at home and at work. So so she takes that uh, very seriously, her work. She takes her work very seriously. But it, there came a point in our life where she had to shift from being an employee of an organization to being a business leader. Mm. And and that's the journey I've been helping her with, and uh, I, I probably don't know as much about the human resources or the executive search business that she's been uh, in as much as she does. But then it's been an interesting journey. Um, so what we do at Miraki People is we essentially focus on uh, three uh, sectors. We work in the retail, consumer, and the consumer uh, technology or the internet businesses, right? So where we help people build collective leadership, right? Um, collective leadership, loosely put, is, is not about just finding one leader who will come and do a particular job, but how do you find someone who's culturally fit? How do you find a level five leader who's got the right amount of empathy, who is skilled or not skilled, a secondary, but who's culturally fit to be an organization, right? How do you really uh, get really personal about 
that person, right? Uh, how do you understand all his traits before you bring them to the table? So that's an area we specialize. We work with some of the largest uh, retail brands in the globe. We work with some of the leading consumer brands. We also work with family businesses. Uh, we find that as a niche for us. Um, in this day and age, I think uh, most businesses want to work with uh, the big fishes. They want to work with the large organizations. But we find it uh, very interesting to work with small family-owned businesses in the second tier and third tier cities. And that's where we feel real passion. Uh, these guys don't do it for the sake of money. They've probably been running businesses for multiple generations. Uh, they've chosen to remain small, uh, but but everything that they do, they do it from the heart and they don't do it from uh, from their purse, right? The money is not the only outcome that they work. So we find it very interesting to work with them. So those are some of the areas that we work uh, on, uh, Steve. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Bimal. As you were describing, you know, a couple of a uh, couple of thoughts and observations came to mind. On the uh, marketing side of things, I like the way you positioned, you know, the way you're approaching marketing. And I know this is broader, um, you know, concepts, but it's it's what you're doing is like that holistic level of marketing, and you're you're basically looking at it more than just the commercial aspects. I mean, obviously, it is there, but um, when you're actually interacting with a client in front of you, you are looking at it more holistically and you're digging layers, which then helps them to understand different opportunities that they might have actually missed, which might not necessarily marketing related, but ultimately it all kind of comes back to marketing, you know, whether you're in business or whatever it is, it all comes back to marketing. If you look at it in, in its truest sense. So it's 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 really interesting how you described that and it's such an important aspect for business leaders to understand that as opposed to the traditional marketing and that's the way i view it absolutely and, i think um see there's also um you I might sound like a person who bashes uh sales folks right so because there, there is this conception that sales versus marketing, what is better, is sales better, marketing better, right? Uh, I've been a sales guy, I've been a marketing guy. It's just that I believe that it, it doesn't matter if you're in sales or marketing, right? It doesn't matter if you're CEO of an organization or the CEO of an organization. It doesn't matter whatever designations you hold. What really matters is, are you helping someone else solve a problem, right? And if you can do that, it, this philosophy will apply to anyone else. And if you're a finance leader, you know, if, if your intent is to help someone, you will invariably find success and happiness in your life. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you don't necessarily need to be a sage. You don't necessarily do be a monk who sold his Ferrari to do this. You can still ride a Ferrari uh, and buy that Ferrari by helping someone solve the problem. And that's, that's the philosophy that's got deeply um, uh, engraved into my belief system. And I'm, I've walked away from opportunities. I've walked away from jobs where I felt that I was doing doing it merely for the sake of money. Yeah. And and if I'm I'm not saying that everyone should do that, but if one opts to do that, life is better. Yeah. Right? Life is yeah. definitely better. You you make better choices in life. You make better choices for your clients. You make better choices for your customer. And you 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 would you would not have these pesky spam calls, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, marketing has this bad name for being. Uh, doing what's called the interruption marketing, right? Be it your advertising, pushing it on your face, or be it your spam calls or SMSs that you receive from services, you have absolutely no need for, right? Um, if, if that stops, right? If that stops, A, you're going to help the life of the person doing that job. Two, you're going to help the life of a person receiving that call. Nobody wants to receive spam calls, 
right? Yeah. But unfortunately, that's the way most businesses run today. Interruption marketing is what most people focus on and not inbound, right? As a marketer, I believe inbound marketing is what we should focus on. But I've been in organizations which have grown essentially through outbound marketing, right? mm. essentially mm. through interruption marketing. Right? So there is, it's not saying that one is better than the other. It's about one's philosophy. Right? Mm. I, I was in a job that I was forced to sell a credit card to a guy who had five credit cards. I said, why should I sell a credit card to a guy who doesn't need a credit card? Right? Mm. But then that organization did extremely well by doing that, by, by this act of cross-selling, by increasing the number of your products, your customers are holding, they were able to do, do, do a business in a most efficient manner and they've grown tremendously. Right? But had I been in the job, I would have hated myself. I would have hated myself doing that. And uh, So there's, there is no one way of doing things. It's about what you believe in and what you don't believe in. If you believe in interruption market, go ahead, do that. But if you don't believe in interruption market, there's always a choice. You, probably need to quit your job. You probably need to find something else you want to do, but there's enough opportunities available in the market for you to enjoy what you're doing and make money rather than just doing what you're doing with the fear that, oh, if I don't do this, I won't make money. Yeah, yeah. No, thank Sorry, you. I, I drifted away from the question and went in a different direction. Yeah, no, no, it's it's, it's perfect. And, and the second observation was on the human resources advisory. Um, a few things that I picked up there was on the collective leadership and, you know, the, you know, kind of embedding those concepts into, into, into companies. And it's good to hear about the sectors that you're, you're working with. Um, it is su such an important aspect when, when we come to leadership and, you know, people working in companies and just getting into that usual wheel of working as opposed to focusing on the actual leadership aspect, a little bit more into a deeper side. And you also mentioned things around level five leadership or elements of those uh, that people need to embrace and you want to evaluate, but also grow those leaders into those companies and kind of embed that. That's very much lacking in many organizations. You know, they just hire people and then there is a ceiling and, there is no path towards building capabilities and um, not only for the organization, but also for the individual themselves, you know, and then after some time, it's not just fulfilling. So it sounds like you're doing, you're making waves in that area as well with your partner. Uh, so I, I think these are the pros and cons of uh, being in a very, uh, growth-driven market, especially in hyper-growth organizations, right? Uh, the focus is only on growth. And whose growth is it in the question, right? Uh, I've not been part of many startups. I've been part of a few startups. I've been part of a few PE-funded companies, right? Uh, and I'm not known for being politically right. So forgive me if some of my statements are not politically right. I've been in situations where leaders have flown from uh, different parts of the world in business class uh, flights, staying in premium hotels, uh, complaining about the quality of wine that's being served in the room, only to come and sack people whose, whose compensations are probably not as much as mm. uh, one day's meal for them. Right? Uh, this is their way of showing value to investors saying that we're optimizing costs. We're letting go people who are not efficient in the organization. We're letting go people who are not helping us grow. And uh, as we speak, I think India is going to go through a phase where 
the much hyped about startups are starting to let go people. We've had enough news about startups starting to let go people, create more, uh, you know, efficiency in the system. Right? Yeah. But I, I, as, a, as a business leader or as a practicing management advisor or a marketer, I find that story ridiculous, right? If only people worried about the people who work for them or work with them as much as they worry about the number of excess in their returns, right? Yeah. Life is, is, would be a lot better. Yeah, maybe you're not going to have a 5x growth, you're not going to have a 10x growth, you're going to have a reasonable 3x, 4x growth, but you're, you're taking people along with you. Right? You're, not, you're not really taking people, using them, throwing them. Yeah. Uh, the, the, one of the demerits I've seen in a hyper-growth organization is it's like sucking the juices of somebody and when you're done with them, you just throw them out in the market. Right? Uh, at that point in time, you, you were very interested in this person. The romance was great. You bring them on board, give them all sort of fancy benefits. And one day that your business is not doing well, you say, please let go. Right? I've been in situations where I've had to tell people a story that I didn't believe in. I had to let go of somebody. I had to choose whose uh, job I was going to you know, take away from them on an evening. Right? And I know their life changed. And I've, I've had sleepless nights where I've had to sack people uh, because of management needs. Right? So, so one of the things that we uh, focus uh, at, at Miraki from a leadership perspective is we work with organizations which is which has very very high uh, moral standards, who are very ethical, who believe in bringing people on board and uh, who help them uh, grow as the organization grows. Right. Uh, we believe in uh, organizations where there's some sort of a code dependency. Your, your, your organization cannot grow unless your people can grow. Right? Mm-hmm. We've had exceptions to it. We've had organizations grow faster than people uh, and their lives are probably not as good as the organizations grow. Right? So, so uh, one of the aspects that we focus in, we are very selective about the clients that we work with. We're very selective about the candidates that we bring into the table only if there's a match between them. Right. Mm. Again, there's no one way or two ways of doing it. Right. And, uh, I, I don't have the experience to criticize the way business works, but I, I, as a business leader, I have a choice to work with them or not. I have a choice to choose my clients. I have a choice to recommend the right kind of candidates for them. And we've had the luxury today and uh, that's where it's been good. Yeah. Yeah, no, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, Vibhav, can you share um, your experience or what you're seeing as challenging um, currently in your business environment as a result of uh, pandemic? I know it's it's kind of an ongoing story for the last couple of years, but uh, how how are you experiencing all of that? I've probably seen the pandemic bring more positivity than negativity, uh, Steve. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being sensitive uh, to the lives that we've lost, the millions of people have died, millions of people's lives have actually completely changed. Right? Uh, but I'm also seeing how people's lives have changed. Right? I'm seeing people uh, waking up to the fact that their life can change tomorrow morning. Right? Uh, you can lose a loved one tomorrow morning. Right. So I'm seeing people a bit more balanced. I'm seeing people a bit more conscious today. Is it really good for business? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Right. But the but, but people's attitude towards work has changed. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, there are more people demanding. Why do I need to come to office every day? Why can't I work from home? Right. Uh, so I'm I'm seeing there's a, there's a significant raise in demand for solutions that 
solve the problem of working from home, right? One of the startups that I support is in the space of uh, building work from home technology, which is more secure and reliable and scalable, right? They've had a tremendous uh, uptake in their technology solutions. More clients are having conversations with them. So people are, see, uh, this is not new, right? Um, one of the organizations that I worked with uh, encouraged us to work from home 15 years back or 20 years back, right? I used to get paid an extra amount of money to work from home. Right? Uh, and people tend in those days, at least, right? Most people would spend 15 years, 20 years. They used to be a career person in that organization and retire from the company, right? So this concept of working from home is not new. Uh, there were organizations supporting this many years uh, back, but COVID has sort of opened the eyes of a lot of the employees saying that I am more efficient working in my own terms than the terms of the employer. I don't need to travel for two hours a day to come and do work in an office. I can do the same work uh, back at home. And employers are also accepting the fact that there is some truth in that. There is some truth in that. It doesn't apply to all the jobs, right? It, it is probably applicable in certain industries. It may not apply in a bank's case. You expect a, a teller or you expect your personal advisor to sit at the bank when you're going there. But if you are in a technology or a knowledge-driven industry, you don't need to be in office to do your work. You can be wherever you want, right? Mm -hmm. For instance, uh, at Miraki, we don't insist in our staff coming to office every day. The only reason they come to office is to have fun. When they come to office, we don't work. We go out for lunch, we go out for coffees, we generally chit-chat, we have fun. But work happens uh, when they choose to work. I can't, I can't demand them to come to office to work, right? They come to office in their own convenience, which is okay. Right? Uh, there are pros and cons of that. So that's, that's probably the one change that I've, I mean, I've spoken about two factors. The first is people have woken up to the fact that there's more to life than work. Uh, your life can change overnight. I'm seeing people's priorities changing. I'm seeing people look at a more uh, balanced life, uh, take life a little bit more easier. Don't be in that mad rush. Take it easier. Mm. Uh, uh, that's one change. Second change I've seen is uh, the the balance has shifted to, to the employee that the employer. Right? Mm. The balance was always with the employer who demanded the terms of engagement. I'm seeing a shift towards the employee getting to decide their terms of engagement. Right? The number of opportunities have completely, not the number of, but the kind of opportunities, the kind of job that you're seeing in the markets have also changed. Right? I've also seen one more trend that COVID in some sense has uh, pushed people to look at their own entrepreneurial journeys. Right? Uh, I don't have a big sample size. I've not done a research on that, but it's my inclination that a lot of people who lost their jobs during the pandemic, right? Yeah have looked at the entrepreneur journey more than ever before. And, and that has, uh, that at least in the next 10, 15 years will have a bigger impact on the India growth story. And I'm saying it's only from India as a region that I, I operate in, a region that I know closely, right? Uh, people are more, are willing to take risks. People are willing to uh, lose something in order to gain something. Had COVID not happened, right? Had this whole, uh, shift towards working from home, has a shift towards having more free time, has a shift towards looking at life more holistically not happen, people wouldn't have evaluated the priorities in their life. And people wouldn't have looked at, you know, it doesn't matter if I don't have an extra zero on my salary, but it does matter if I'm not available for my family uh, for an important occasion or, you know, when my child needs me, I'm not available, right? So those are the, the some of the changes that I'm seeing. Uh, unfortunately, some of the industries have completely died. 
right? Uh, but, but it's also given way for some new industries. And like in most most changes, not everybody wins, right? Uh, some win, some lose. It's it's been uh, one of those weird situations where I've seen vendors have dealt with vanish, right? Uh, there used to be a guy who used to sell peanuts outside my uh, community, right? We used to go and buy peanuts from him uh, every uh, weekend or you know whenever we went out. I haven't seen that guy uh, since uh, you know COVID happened, right? I, I guess he could never recover from not having a market where he could sell. He could never, he didn't have the mind to go and digitize saying that I will deliver peanuts to your house using WhatsApp, place order on WhatsApp, uh, you know, place order on online forces or whatever. So those kind of people have been more effective than uh, the people who are in high income groups or even middle income groups, right? So that's the unfortunate part. But it's also given an opportunity for digitization. Yeah. The amount of digitization that uh, India has seen in the market during the COVID period is unbelievable. Okay? Uh, everybody today accepts uh, online payment. Uh, I'm not exaggerating it. A lady who sits in the roadside selling flowers today has a QR code to scan and play online. Okay? Um, I can confidently walk out of my house without carrying my wallet with just my phone and, and I can do what I want to do. Right? Uh, I don't think it's reality, but we've seen funny videos of beggars carrying QR codes. Yeah. Right? It's, it's probably not <laughs> far from reality. Uh, but it is an indication that COVID has actually helped digitization faster than ever before. Yeah. A lady selling flowers in the street would have never thought of opening a bank account. Right? It, it, it became a matter of our survival. People didn't want to exchange notes. People didn't want to carry uh, infection and pass it on to someone else. They want to stay away from someone else. Right? Uh, so I think in the long run, uh, barring the fact that we've had a lot of misery of people struggling through the two years, lots of lives lost, right? Uh, if, if we just park the thought for a while and look at business environment as at large, right? I would say there's more positives in it than the negatives, right? Yeah. And it's typically like the stock market, uh, you know, I believe stock market in some sense reflects what's happening in the industry, right? The stock yeah. markets crashed miserably, right? A lot of people lost money in that, but it's also given an opportunity for people to make money. The markets have slowly grown up, that's corrections, but it's slowly gone up, gone up. And that's how life at large has also been, life and business at large has been affected by the pandemic. Yeah. It's it is uh it is so refreshing to hear how progress has matured so rapidly because of certain events, um, and we sometimes underestimate markets like India, for example, or you know other you know emerging markets, for example. But the way technology and trends are shifting in some of these markets are amazing compared to some of the other markets so it's 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 very refreshing to hear from you how you know you're describing about uh you know work from home but also about you know your your your, your people day-to-day -day people um you know flashing qr cards for uh for for for, for managing the, the technology interfaces and so forth it's just amazing you don't usually hear about these things but 
the moment some new technology comes in and there is a, a you know force to actually get into 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 that mode of operating then how that market embraces that trend and that technology says a lot about yeah. that particular market and how things are operating that in that organization in in, in, in that organization or in that individual's mind absolutely I, I think it just made the whole survival of the fittest story a little bit more uh, apt for a lot of people right uh, it, it, it's not really cutthroat competition that i'm talking about right uh, the rules of engagement has changed right if 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 that flower vendor has to make money that day, she has to evolve with the market. And, and the reality of the market is that people want to stay a little away from personal contact, even now, right? Though masks have vanished, uh, we still have those invis invisible masks with us today, right? Mm -hmm. And if, if I can avoid contact, direct contact, I would avoid direct contact. Right? And the same thing has also had an implication uh, in in the larger enterprise businesses also, right? One of the businesses that I work with uh, offer technology which allow you to do, let's say, something called as the virtual KYC, right? In the banking industry, there's a yeah. concept of knowing your customer before you open an account. Earlier, it used to be uh, you have to go to a branch, you have to get a copy of your passport or your PAN card or your Aadhaar copy, which is uh, India's, uh, you know, uh, personal identification number or a citizen identification number. Um, but now all that can be done completely online. You can be sitting in Timbuktu, your client can be sitting in you know Honolulu, but you can do everything at a speed of thought online today. And technologies are allowing you to do it. Right? So it is not that these technologies have been created only in the last two years. These technologies have existed for many years. Right? Businesses have accepted the fact that okay, I don't need to do a in-contact service or, you know, I don't need to be physically sitting in the branch. I don't need my customer to physically come to my branch to do it. They can be sitting in their office, right? And I can be sitting in my bank, but I can do my transaction online in a very secure manner. It is all about uh, using the right amount of technology to keep the transaction secure, to ensure that the customer experience in both sides, the, the employee's experience and the customer's experience is taken care of. It's about using the right technology to adapt to what's happening in the market, right? So the rules of the engagement has changed after COVID, right? But it has not really crashed the market. It's not really, uh, uh, you know, kind of taking things uh, in the in, in poorer side of it, right? It's not really messed up things. The rules of the engagement has changed. As long as you're able to embrace the changes, as long as you're able to see that, your old ways are not going to work anymore and you're able to embrace that, I, I think life is going to be uh, normal soon. Yeah. So Vimal, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about you. What does uh, what is a day in the life of uh, Vimal look like? Okay. Um, fitness has taken a backseat after COVID. Like I said, uh, <laughs> I, I've been struggling with this whole long COVID for the last two, three months. Um, so that's probably the negative side of COVID. Um, Life revolves around family for me and I've always seen as work and business as enablers to live a good life, right? Um, so given a choice, I would probably hang my boots again, go live in our farm. I have a small farm that we're building, this small farmhouse where we try to grow our own uh, vegetables in a sustainable manner. So given a choice, that's going to be my retirement uh, house. Who knows, I'll retire tomorrow morning, go sit there. Uh, jokes apart, right now I think... Uh, 
my day starts with my pet. I have a pet at home. Uh, whether I want it or not, she demands a walk in the morning. So spend time with my pet in the morning. The first hour of the day goes with her. Then comes my daughter. Not in order of priority. I hope my daughter never gets to listen to this. So it's just chronologically, my dog wakes up earlier than my daughter. And probably the second hour goes with my daughter, taking her to school. And um, I work with my wife. Um, and so like I said earlier, uh, uh, I spend most of my time uh, with her business. And so it's, it's office is kind of an extension for home for us. And it's also helped me in some sense to understand my wife better, working with her um, apart from just living with her at home. So... Yeah. So that's largely uh, life being, uh, Steve. I try and avoid travel as much as possible. I take the excuse of uh, COVID situations, but uh, you know, it's allowed me to work from the fact that I can get things done without traveling. Uh, I can get things done in my own pace. Right? Uh, one year back, had you asked me, I told you I'm a fitness junkie. I like to cycle, I like to run, I like to go to gym, but uh, things have already changed. <laughs> Uh, entrepreneurial life uh, in some doesn't give too much of flexibility and still struggling to find balance in those uh, areas. Okay, uh, that's that's life. Yeah, you and and you you take one day at a time, and you absolutely. you still maintain your your vision basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Pimel, we are coming to a close very shortly. Is there any uh, closing messages or a challenge to other leaders that you want to make here? Um, I, I don't know I have enough gray hair to give advice to somebody, but uh, what's really worked for me is uh, when you put empathy ahead of a button, right? life is happy. Right? A lot of my friends, a lot of my peers, a lot of my colleagues will not agree to it. Right? Uh, they will feel that uh, empathy alone is not enough. You need a button. You need to have profits. Um, you need to run a company that's focused on growth. You need to be in a hyper-growth environment. I'm not taking anything away from that. Growth is important. EBITDA is important. Efficiency and optimizing your business is important. Profits are important, but not at the cost of empathy. Right? And if and, and I've also believed that people find it easier to be empathetic to humanity at large than your than your neighbor or in a work context, the person sitting next to you and working. Right? The same people who will go and contribute to the UNICEF fund or who contribute to various other funds. I'm not saying you should do it. You should still continue to do it. You know, it's all important. But if you can translate that empathy to the person working next to you uh, or the person working with you or the person working for you or person for whom you work, right, life would be better. And if there's, like I said, if there's only one takeaway that somebody wants to uh, take away, it would be that. Put empathy before uh, profitability. Put empathy before debita. If the people that who work for you are happy, your work will get done. And, and if your customers are happy, they will invariably come to you. It doesn't matter. You don't make profit in one transaction. As long as you're solving that problem in an empathetic manner, success and happiness will always uh, find you. Wise words on empathy from a personal and business perspective. Vimal, thank you very much for being with us today and sharing your journey and all those interesting twists and turns. Thank you very much. Lovely to speak to you, Steve. And thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, I wish you and the rest of the team behind the Leadership Expose podcast the very best. And uh, uh, I, I wish you good.
Thank you so much. Thank you, Vimal. Okay, folks, thank you very much for listening in and stay tuned for our next episode where we hear from a businesswoman and a leader and a social change maker um, who is a technology explorer and she is a super connector in the Balkans. Uh, We'll hear more about that in the next episode. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.